0: Welcome to the Voices of War, a podcast with a simple vision to bring to life the true costs of war through the voices of those who've lived it. I'm your host, Maz, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi there. This is an episode that seeks to update our listeners on the current situation in Afghanistan. That is the reason why I'm also publishing it as soon as it's ready which is slightly out of cycle of my normal publishing schedule. The events in Afghanistan are unfolding so fast that I thought it wise to put this episode out as soon as it was ready. Okay, let's go to Dr. Mike Martin. Today, I've asked Dr. Mike Martin to join me again on the podcast to discuss recent events in Afghanistan. You can hear Mike's full bio in our previous episode linked in the show notes, as well as through his own website, which is also linked. In short, though, Mike has spent years studying Afghanistan, did his PhD on British involvement in Helmand, is a fluent Pashto speaker, and is the author of the book, An Intimate War, considered by many Afghanistan experts as the most authoritative book on the dynamics and true nature of conflict in this part of the world. Dr. Mike, thanks for joining me on the the show again.
1: Hey, Maz. Thanks, mate.
0: Uh, And just for context, uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, the 15th of August, and it is 6.45 in Kabul at the moment. Uh, And reports we we're hearing reports that Kabul is under serious threat uh, and over the past days and weeks and even months uh, the situation in Afghanistan has deteriorated uh, significantly. Uh, so I've asked Mike to come on and uh, uh, Mike just maybe before we kind of delve into the current situation maybe you can set the context for us uh, and maybe just uh, uh, talk to us about what has happened uh, since the Doha agreement and even what the Doha agreement might be about.
1: Sure uh, so Sure, all your listeners will be aware um, the US and its allies have been involved in a war in Afghanistan since 2001.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. So sure many yeah. Although we can't it. make assumptions. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so the, in, in February 2020, um, Trump fulfilled one of his campaign promises. He had a lot of campaign promises, and he was quite big on fulfilling them, uh, which was get you know end all these wars, and so. Um, the U.S. signed an agreement with um, the t- Taliban representatives in Doha, and um, it was kind of called a peace deal at the time, but it wasn't. It was it it, it was a it was an exit agreement. Uh, agreement being quite a loose word. Effectively, uh, the U.S. was going to pull out. The, the Taliban promised that uh, Afghanistan wouldn't be used for as a base for terrorism. You know, they cut their hmm. cut their links to AQ and all the rest of it. The Taliban and the – no, very important, right? The Afghan government were completely cut out of this Mm, um, agreement, which is crazy, which was a long-standing precondition of the United States to any talks
0: with the Taliban, right? So Trump just said, get rid of that. Um, It had the Security Council approval, though, as well, right? And the key players like Russia, Pakistan, and so on all, all supported it, but the Afghan government was not at all involved, right? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. You know, Russia and China, I think as we're going to get into, we might get into geopolitics later, like Russia and China, there's a a huge regional play going on at the Mm. moment. Anyway, so they had this agreement. And then also in that agreement, they, you know, the Taliban were meant to have a dialogue with the Afghan government, but that that just hasn't really happened. I mean, it's kind of fits and starts talking past each other, really. And then also the U.S. was going to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners and... A lot of these were held in Afghan government custody. So actually the U.S. had to kind of pressure the Afghans to release them. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of madness. And then it was done over a very short period of time. So, you know, the Russians, when they decided to leave, they in 1986, they put Najibullah in. And then they spent three years telling Najibullah to broaden the base of his government uh mm. include more tribes reconciliation you know reach out to other kind of ethnicities and regions and all that kind of stuff mm. and pull together something that would last uh as long as the russians put some money in and that did last it lasted until 1992 so it lasted three years um now the ghani government as so ashraf ghani the uh, former president the former president? <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. Freudian president slip, of yeah. Afghanistan. <laughs>
2: well,
1: because, well we, we've got sort of, you know, obviously, I, I, I've been up since um, many, many hours because I'm trying to get a good friend out of Kabul as well. Um, mm. So I'm trying to sort of work on my contacts to do that. But uh, certainly one of the, and as you can imagine on social media, everything's been rumors and craziness and I've been speaking to people all over the place. But, you know, one yeah. of the rumors was that there, there was a, a, a helicopter that landed on the Rooftop of the presidential palace. So one assumes
0: that Annie is gone, right? Um, okay. okay. But that, that at this stage is but, a speculation. Uh, given given the time, and and we might, yeah. Throughout the day, we might even confirm that. That's what you're saying.
1: You know, by the time this comes out, then yeah. you know you'll be able to. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Um. And so, the where did we get to in that story? Sorry, my no, no. We just so,
0: no, 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 no. Absolutely. And I and i appreciate that you're you're under a lot of pressure and, and just for context as well you've been speaking to a lot of other uh, media outlets uh, uh, far bigger than uh, the voices of war uh, so you've been up there, for many hours there's, but-
1: there's nothing nothing bigger than the <laughs> <laughs> <That's>
0: nothing <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, I think the context we're trying to set. Well, I appreciate the plug. Yeah. The context was the Doha Agreement and where that got us uh, to basically, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know,
1: and to comparison with the Russians, right? They, yeah. and they and and what Rani had never done was build a broad based political settlement. Mm. It's Afghanistan, mm. right? So you what you have to, if you're the government or you want to rule Afghanistan, you need a broad based political franchise or you need a lot of military force mm. or some kind of combination of the two. And Rani. Um, well, so his background, right, is he's a kind of World Bank academic. He actually wrote a book on f- fixing failed states. So this <laughs> really is his whole worldview crumbling around him.
2: Hmm.
1: And he was a technocrat. Like he, this whole, the way that you and I, when we've deployed and we've done our you know, post-conflict reconstruction, this sort of conflict by spreadsheet stuff. Mm. very technical in nature you know number of textbooks delivered elections mm. run all that kind of stuff yeah. and there's a box yeah. you know marked inclusive political settlement and you ticket. it that's right but it's a
0: formula you know, if then if then if then right it's a very absolute, it's a neat yeah. formula which doesn't of but course war works. is
1: political yeah. right all war is political mm. this is a kind of fundamental nature of it and so what what inclusive political settlement means in afghanistan is talking to some people that actually you don't you know you don't really agree with at all mm. like you need to bring in there's the internal piece about warlords and whatever. And then there's the uh, external, the regional piece, which we'll talk about, you know, Pakistan, Iran, Russia, central Asian states, China, of course, India, you mm-hmm. know, there's a huge, and and really none of that. So the U S and its allies spent 20 years there, didn't build a board political franchise inside the country because they viewed it as a technical, like conflict by spreadsheet mm-hmm. exercise. Um, and, didn't really do much regional work either to solve yeah. the you know to tie in because each of those ethnic groups in Afghanistan has got links you know the Pashtuna in Pakistan as well the uzbeks in Uzbekistan Tajiks in Tajikistan and so on and so forth.
2: Mm,
1: mm, um. So yeah, any any
0: yeah no I was just, I was going to say I mean I think that's something we we spoke at length in our previous episode as well is the the you know and we refer to it as the ecosystem that it's a place that is alive it's anything but black and white and we you know we, broadly speaking, didn't really understand the war. You know, the war we thought we fought was not the war we fought, uh, and yeah. I think we're seeing that now, right? And and, uh, and that's maybe maybe a way to bring us into kind of the more recent events because I think that's yeah. um, that's something that's, I think, surprised many people is the speed and pace of mm. the Taliban uh, takeover. Maybe is there is there a reason that you can kind of put, to that as to why it has even occurred, why it's happened so quickly, why it's happened – I mean, the the U.S. withdrawal, of course, and so on. I mean, I imagine that would have to play a part.
1: Well, the the foundational stuff is what we've already discussed, right? Rani didn't build a political settlement that Mm -hmm. was old enough. So in the north of the country, there are a series of kind of major warlords and in the west that he – you know, following this kind of post-conflict reconstruction methodology, you know, you kind of alienate actors mm. and, and mm-hmm. not alienate, mm-hmm. but, you know, disenfranchise armed actors that are outside of government and build institutions and all that kind of stuff. But actually, the reality is those guys provided the, the fighting force
2: mm.
1: or they could have provided the fighting force, the anchor, really, of the government's fighting force. Mm. Um, and so progressively what we've seen, obviously, Biden came in in Fed January, February this year. Yeah did a review of trump's policy because that was saying that they were all u.s troops were gonna be out by may um he did a review of that and really only announced I, I i think the u.s military expected biden to come in and reverse it i think also the afghan government expected biden to reverse it so they did no prep like the afghan government basically started prepping in may
2: mm.
1: <laughs> or june like extra like that was when the penny dropped So for over a year, the Americans, the training team, the NATO training teams have been telling the Afghans, um, really, these we're not holding every district. This is not happening. We need to give up the most rural districts that are miles away. Stop trying. We can only really supply them with air support. You're not going to, you know, you're not Mm -hmm. going to hold them. We should pull back to something more sensible. Obviously, all the main cities, all the provincial centres, the ring roads, you know. Yeah. hold the kind of core of the country and let some of the more distant rural areas of which, you know, there are many in Afghanistan, hmm. um, just let them go to local control, Taliban, whatever,
0: you know. Yeah. As long as the ring road and the economic hubs are, are maintained. And you've right? got
1: your, your MSRs and your, you know, your customs posts and all that. And hmm. so, and that really, the US have been telling them that or the NATO allies have been telling them that for a year, but they only really started thinking about it in May, Basically, when in April, when um, Biden said, nope, we are actually leaving, you know, he kind of mm. put the stamp on Trump's decision and said, but we're going to delay it till September, which I think was a logistical thing because I think the US military hadn't done enough to get mm. out all their stuff because they thought Biden would reverse it. And at that point, the penny dropped um, amongst the, with the Afghan government that they needed to do something. But also that was the point, of course, May is when the fighting season starts in Afghanistan. So... Yeah. Um, I mean, even the timing of the deal tells you how little the US understood Afghanistan. They had the final withdrawal date at May, which is mm. the beginning of the fighting season. Why wouldn't you have the final withdrawal date at the end of October or mid-October, which yeah. is the end of the fighting season? So the government's got six months to bed in with a lower level of insurgent military activity. Like, it's, it's just so basic.
0: It makes you wonder, um, right? I mean, it, it really does make you wonder.
1: The Talibs mm. in Doha knew that. Trump wanted out, full mm. stop, and he didn't give a he didn't give a m- monkeys about mm. how that was achieved, mm. and that was very clear. and And Zalmay Khalizad, who's the kind of Af- he's the sort of guy of the U who's representing the U.S. in these peace talks, and he's been like involved in American policy to do with Afghanistan for decades, and he's rubbish. He's just so mediocre um so you know the combination of kind of incompetence and stupid campaign promises and all the rest of it no. um so come may the fighting season started the taliban started um pushing into the north into that area where you know where we spoke you know um this is where Hani. these were where the warlords that Hani pushed away you know he had much stronger support in some other in the pashtun areas so why start there let's create some momentum and then broadly once they'd done that then at a certain point and I really can't even tell you any dates like because it was was also quick as well though yeah Yeah. amazing so probably like beginning of July or mid-July I don't know something like that Mm then a a series of customs posts were taken at the same time yeah and and everyone said oh no well that's you know that's going to stop the revenue to the government but that's not how Afghanistan works. Anyway, the Afghan government was relying on foreign aid and has actually got some reserves. Uh, you know, I was a world bank guy, right? So that's all <laughs> kind of sorted out. Mm. Um, and, but what it did do, here's the thing, taking the customs posts, so the, what, what the customs posts represent is that is how the Kabul government binds in peripheral tribes and clans and ethnicities and interest groups into its system. Mm. and it says in the kind of manner of a roman tax collector who could you know keep a percentage they mm. say to whatever in spin Bulldex, a perfect example which is the customs post in you know kandahar province where the adazai clan of the achakzai have basically managed that for the government for the last 20 years and they got very rich doing it thanks very much mm. and th- that ensures that the frontiers of the country are safe right so they're totally loyal to the government they give a bit of money to government. They get really rich, and so it binds. It's a it's a political deal. It's not you know it's a political deal greased by customers' revenue, yeah.
2: and yeah.
1: there's underreporting and bribes and all the rest of it. So everyone gets very nasty rich. But of course, what that also means is the adazai because they were the government, because they had the support of the you know the West, acted like little shits because mm. it's a forty-three year civil war. So everyone in Afghanistan's got some enemies. So you know their own guys got through um you know the customs posts without paying duties and then other people got tortured and shaken down and their daughters got raped and all that kind of stuff and so when the taliban moved into spin Boldak, uh they massacred the Adazai. so in between a hundred and a thousand who knows what the numbers are yeah um got massacred um in, uh, and what does that do that makes it impossible for the government to reestablish its even if they could push out from kandahar with a military force and retake spin boldak they could but they could no less, that they that that clan is broken and yeah. can no longer bind the periphery to the center
0: yeah they've lost that that capital that they held uh, as yeah. as dubious as the deals were and and it was still yeah. some nominal power power balance at least and now it's gone and so
1: what this started to do was it started to fracture political deals all over afghanistan
0: because and, and a- i guess fear yeah. as well in my in my correct understanding yeah. the fear from yeah. the, the those who were still tentatively siding with the government uh, and i've seen your own posts uh, and and of many other people of how quickly sides turned and i think this is also yeah. another thing that well we we at least talked about this in, in our previous yeah. episode as well is is yeah. is the allegiances uh, that we often misunderstood. It's very easy for us to say cowards and so on. Uh, you know, they've they've turned, they've turned, they've sided with the Taliban now. But I think it's a far more complex beast uh, when your life and the life of your entire clan is uh, is on the line. Right? Is that, is that what's happening?
1: Yeah. So anyone who's alive today in Afghanistan is a survivor. If you're fifty, you've changed sides your entire life, right? Yeah. And if you didn't change sides and you got killed, or you got unlucky like the Adizai. Mm. so what that means is that it's a bit like a seesaw or a psychological tipping point. Mm. You know, the government and Taliban have got these kind of political franchises where they're trying to do all these deals, like the deals I've just described to you over the customs post, right? Or there's a checkpoint in that area or they're growing some drugs or whatever. So there's all this political economy that's holding Mm. these franchises together.
2: Yeah.
1: And very cleverly. And I did not see, you know, I totally have not seen this coming. Uh, I've been absolutely stunned by what's happened because I assume that the government franchise was more stable than the Taliban franchise but it appears that the Taliban franchise was much more stable and they managed to fracture starting with the customs space it started the domino effect and then the, cu- the political deals that held apart the government franchise political franchise which delivers its military power mm. started to fracture
0: why do you refer to it as franchise uh, 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 just for context can you clarify that because they're both uh, you, you refer to them rightly I think both as franchises but maybe just uh, I think it's a nuanced point that's that's worth uh, exploring
1: Well, I think because like in, you know, many of our listeners will be in Western countries and so they will see the government as an institution, but that's not what the government is in Afghanistan. It's a collection of interest groups. It's like a political party. And, and I mean, I don't mean like, because obviously we have political parties in our governments, but I mean like, imagine if the foreign office was controlled by labor and the home Ministry was controlled by you know the conservatives, and the Liberals had another one, and all the rest of it and then you've got some kind of de- revenue sharing deal deals going on that together yeah. right yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah, so yeah, basically they they fractured that government franchise, and once it started to go, it started to go and basically on Friday Thursday, I think garda's fell, maybe Thursday Kunda's fell yeah. <laughs> And that was the first point where everyone was like,
0: "Ah, this is because yeah, real, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah." Because so the once Hani realized in June or whenever it was that oh, hang on a minute, this is actually really serious. He then went back to those warlords that he'd spent the last six years alienating and said, "Hi, would you like to be part of the government?" And they were like,
0: "Who uh. you?" Again? So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that took yeah. a lot to pull together um and it's nuts right because some of these warlords are actual bona fide war criminals so mm. like mm. what are we doing what constructing what what are we constructing to beat the taliban who are also war criminals like what mm. <laughs> what kind of game of thrones are we involved in here yeah and
0: but there was some the, the, a couple of weeks ago even and and, and again I, I i i commend you on your humility on, on saying that you, you you misread some of these things or not misread but you were surprised by them um But there were inklings of of hope almost. There was galvanized resistance. There was at least sufficient, you know, information of the, you know, uh, NSF uh, as special forces and so on. On Wednesday,
1: I was voting an op-ed with various social media outlets that basically said uh, there's going to be a stalemate come the end of the fighting season. Mm. The government will hold the major cities and, you know, then my argument was we got these two political franchises mm-hmm. and um, everyone say go to Doha, but there's no point in that because the government and the Taliban can't enforce the, any deal over their franchises, which is something I think we want to pick up on. Like how close to the Doha Talibs, how much control do they have over what's going on on the ground right now? Like I think well that, that's a very important point I want to come back to. Well,
0: well, well I mean, yeah, we'll come back to it or, or talk to it now even I mean, because it's, a, it's very relevant. Yeah, yeah, because it's a really relevant point and it speaks to that franchise of the Taliban, part
1: yeah right so the you know the talibs like there's the kind of quetta guys who have been and that's the doha lot are drawn out of the quetta shura and and then there's also the, the haqqani network further east and then there's the, the helmandis who are like Ishakzai drug lords and so on and so forth like there's various like you know bits or bits of the taliban that are built into this franchise um personalities with tribal links so on and so forth and so but you know before this week i was saying look these guys are the the closer they get to government the contradictions inherent in the franchise are going to become untenable for example the doha lot said we're going to ban drugs when Mm. the the when we get into power and the helmandis well that they are a drug network (laughs) they became talibs as part of their you know to help defend their drug network Mm. Mm. so or you know the doha lot said to china you know the uyghurs are an internal problem for China. We do not seek to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm, mm. And, I, you know, I there's, there's, there's what's it called, the East Turkestan Independence Movement is the name of the organization that is a kind of the Uyghur insurgent terrorist, call it what you like, freedom mm. fighter
0: group, whatever
1: whatever terminology, yeah. depending on which side of the...
0: Where you sit, yeah.
1: Where, yeah. where you sit. Uh, they have definitely operated in Taliban, in, sorry, in Afghanistan before probably quite a few of them in Balakshan, which is the northeastern province that abuts China.
2: Mm, mm. Uh,
1: so how, you know, how does that play out? You know, and then, and then we've really clearly seen like, because the Doha Talibs were saying, we're not going to take Kabul by force. But we've very clearly seen that this has come apart at this point. And so there's two theories, right? You know, either the Doha Talibs don't control the military guys on the ground. Mm. And, you know, they're from a different generation. The Doha Talibs, the Quetta Talibs, are like the guys from the original government back in whenever mm. it was. 2000, right? So they're a t- completely different generation to a lot of the Talibs now. Are like weren't alive in 911. A lot of the guys pulling the trigger weren't alive in 911.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's a different and war again for them. Yeah, be
1: older, but like they grew up. Mm. Maybe they were born during the Taliban regime or something, or they grew up in Afghanistan, in sorry, in Pakistan, in a you know, in a camp, or they mm. live in a madrasa or something, you know, whatever. So they're young, and they're Right now, they are flush with victory, yeah, their eyes will be popping out of their heads. They will be wanting to get into Kabul and give it Reach to the, kuffar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because there's you know there's still like right. so this is the other thing we've got to work. it's like crazy so on Friday, head art fell, and then Kandahar fell,
2: mm.
1: which is stunning, yeah mind mind blowing and that happened all because of deals like Ismail Khan, who two weeks ago was like, uh, is an old Mujahideen leader who fought the Soviets was, Soviets was, was getting his old militia together and giving the Taliban a kicking. Mm. And then, but then it turns out that basically, cause this is the thing, the government was represented by different types of military force in each province. So there was like maybe Jihadi leaders like, mm. There might have been other types of government-sponsored militias, maybe sponsored by the government intelligence service. There would have been police, there would have been army, and there probably would have been special forces maybe tacked on or commandos or whatever, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But the Afghan special forces and commandos were very effective, by the way. They fought everywhere they went really effectively but then what happened is so you what do you do if you're the talib you aim at the weakest part of that coalition right so maybe you can get the police to defect or one of those militias that's allied or maybe the jihadi leader maybe you can flip him or whatever right yeah. so they just went in and just fractured each
2: yeah. and before
1: we know it, we've got ismail khan like he's a talib now <laughs> yeah this is a guy who like fought the talibs back in the day got captured by them in 94 oh god when was her art and uh, you know tortured or whatever and now like and now he is a talib flying to Kabul yesterday to convince Atanor one of the other jihadi leaders in the north to peel away from Dostum events are moving so fast that by the mm. time he got there or 20 hours after he got to Kabul Dostum and Atanor who've hated each other for years <laughs> had jumped in all the Blackhawks hawks. That the American government had given them and flown into a pakistan and fucked off. <laughs> like totally wow. nuts. Yeah. Because another coalition fractured up there. In Kandahar, the elders basically it's all negotiated across tribal lines. So in Herat, mm-hmm. the head of the provincial council was Alazai, the major Taliban commander was Alazai. There you go.
0: Yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right? In Kandahar, not clear what happened yet. But as soon as Kandahar City fell and the government withdrew to um the army base and Kandahar airfield, Karzai flew out of Kabul down to Kandahar airfield. And we mm. don't know this, but in fact, shortly after landing at Kandahar airfield, he negotiated the surrender of those forces, right? Amnesty for surrender. And then he went back to Karz, which is his village in like just south of Kandahar city. So obviously he's, so so. Karzai, watch out, you know, mark my words, Karzai obviously mm. is angling for-
0: Come back up, yeah
1: foreign minister, because they offered him a job back originally in the original government. He turned down for some reason. Uh, and then, you know, we know his history since 2001. But then, obviously, he's now angling for a...
0: <laughs> influential police. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy, and I, think, and I think it's important to to stress the point there as well. When we say Kandahar fell, you know, all these various other regional centres are falling, I yeah. think there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's perhaps a perception in our minds... Uh, for those of us who are not on the ground, for- that it's, yeah, that it's, you know, combat, front lines, yeah, vi- victory. Said, the the yeah.
1: militias, in almost every case, the locally allied militias switched sides. Yeah. And then the army commanders read the runes and surrendered or switched sides. And the mm. army troops were like, quite a lot of videos are circulating of the army troops saying, we're up That's to right. this.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the ones that did fight were the commanders and the special forces, but they were, you know, by the end, they were few and far between. F-
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that there would be probably somehow centralized, I'd imagine now, uh, to
2: probably what, Kabul, Kabul, I'd imagine. Yeah so, Kabul
1: left, mate,
0: so. yeah. so is that is that what you're, are you expecting a battle as in, as we know, a battle for Kabul or are we expecting a uh, negotiation uh, as well?
1: This is great, isn't it? Because by the time the podcast comes out, we'll know. We'll know the answer,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, So you need
1: to do like a, so. a
0: prescript or a postscript. And... Yeah. Well, well, I'm just putting you on the spot, you know, for your next 24-hour yeah. prediction.
1: well, yeah. <laughs> um, Up until this morning when I woke up, I assumed there'd be a negotiation. So what the problem has been, right, is that Hani's refused to resign, So the Taliban were like once they had once they had like I don't know seventeen out of thirty four provinces or whatever or like Mm, most mm. of the major cities whatever right I mean as soon as Kandahar fell that's it the psychological tipping point had been reached and everyone else was then looking for the deal what's the deal Mm. yeah right so everyone can everyone can read that or anyone who's a politician can Ghani's a technocrat
0: so he. He's living in cloud cuckoo land, right? Well, it's funny reading his Twitter posts. I mean, his Twitter posts are almost laughable because he's it's kind video. of saying, oh. it's, it's, it's oh. laughable because he's sending the message of, you know, we will stand and we will, we will resist. No. And, oh, uh, no. But it's almost coming at the... And just, that will just kill people. Like, that's just, those people are just going to die pointlessly. The Taliban
1: are going to be in charge of Kabul within the next 24 hours. There you go. There's your prediction. Yeah, and at the outside the next 48 hours. And the reason that is, it should not have got to that. Rani should have resigned after Kandahar fell to allow a transitional government, basically a Taliban government with Karzai or something. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever the deal was. doesn't matter. Like, as long as you're not fighting for a city of 4
0: million people.
1: Like, yeah. it's stupid.
0: But the bloodthirst, I, mean- I think you made the point, the bloodthirst of the young Talibs now, thats the, that's a real consider and we know
1: i'm not resigning like that was the that was the taliban's condition well they had lots of conditions but that was a kind of red line for them
0: and we'd also know i mean i think you've talked about this in your other book while we fight you know the the, maybe i'm paraphrasing but you know the 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 bloodthirst moment does take over in victory uh, when you've kind of got the enemy whoever your enemy might be withdrawing surrendering and so on and so forth that's when the bloodthirst really kicks off and that's what we're seeing i mean there's multiple reports of you know atrocious atrocious things happening in all the various places where you know that that have fallen beheadings torture mass executions that's
1: badal mate yeah? yeah so that's badal
0: which is revenge yeah yeah
1: um and the deal with badal is like a lot of these people who've been on the government in the government franchise have been lording it over all the people who haven't been in the government franchise and now now that the other guys have got the upper hands
0: yeah Payback.
1: They take their set. Yeah, it's payback time. Lots mm. of scores are being settled, and of course, in settling these scores, the Taliban are setting up the next so- Badal cycle. Right. Yeah, the next cycle. Right? Don't th- don't think that ta- well, once the Taliban take over, Afghanistan's going to be at peace.
0: Mm. No, but of course, yeah. civil
1: war yeah. continues.
0: Yeah, it's and uh, conscious of the time, Mike, and I know that you've got uh, other other engagements and other things to follow up on, but yeah. we can't not talk about the external stakeholders. Uh, who are yeah. having an impact uh, in, yeah. in Afghanistan? You know, yeah. of course, US. Of course, Australia was the first one to close their embassy. You know, Brits, you mm. guys are basically out as well. Um, you know. I see. They, I see.
1: The Australians have just announced a. Couple of battle groups to go on standby or something.
0: To, yeah, and we're sending in some
1: remarkably uh, late.
0: Yeah, well, we're also sending some <laughs> uh, some planes to get uh, get Australians out Blah. and so on and so forth. I think okay. the US are doing the same. I think Brits are rerolling some people and sending what I think you're sending about 300 or 600 troops or something. Nah, to- no,
1: we're sending we're sending a a, a para battle group, 600.
0: Okay, six hundred. Yeah,
1: yeah. Marines are sending five thousand. Sorry, the US is sending five thousand US Marines.
0: That's right, and that's but that's basically to facilitate the 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 exodus of foreigners, particularly the. the, That's to hold the airport
1: because the embassy zones are basically the European embassies are basically gone. Mm. Uh, The civilians are out of the American embassy already. The the, there are some US military still left there, but you know it's you know they'll be gone at some point. So there is still why hold more locations.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and 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 therein lies the fact that you know the West broadly, as in at least the the kind of you know at least our West, uh, the Anglo West, uh, is lifting mm-hmm. its hand off uh, from Afghanistan. Uh, but there are of course other players in the region that will uh, try to exercise their power and control. And uh, you've been again quite public about some of those. I mean, you know, without a doubt, mm. Pakistan, China, uh, those two are uh, key players. Mm. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, those dynamics and what, what, what is at play, uh, who's yeah. playing what, and, and, you know, again, <laughs> well, what, what, think, what are we likely to see? I think,
1: I think you know, this is, the, this is the end of America in that part of the world. You know, 2001, America was effectively able to unilaterally roll in. And then again in 2003, unilaterally effectively into Iraq, right? That's that's over for sure. Um, the three big powers or the ones who've got the ability to cause the greatest trouble are China, Russia, and India. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, all the neighbouring countries, as we've discussed, have kind of got their own ethnic.
0: Yeah, they've got their fingers
1: eyeball. in their pies. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's a big question around you know who owns this and this comes back actually to the situation now right we're doing we're trying to do a a neo a, a mm. non-combatant evacuation operation right now literally the planes are taking off as we speak in yeah, kabul, right? yeah
2: yeah yeah exactly. so yeah.
1: and the taliban have already sprung the prison in kabul and they're already like on the outskirts of the city right so it's literally a race against time and so then the question is like what it's been said by everyone that no one's going to recognize, including China, no one's going to recognize the Taliban government imposed by force. Right. But that who knows what that would be worth the paper. Yeah, exactly. In yeah, yeah. Or in 10 minutes or whatever. And the but then there's a is there a danger that the cost could be taken? Probably not. I think most people are out in the airport now. So maybe that hostage risk has receded. But then, how, whether there's a clash or what happens to the US embassy, or, you know, all these things seem to speak about legitimacy. It seems to me the US is not going to recognize the Taliban government. So, is China going to recognize the Taliban government? Hmm. Because the government, the Taliban government needs a sponsor, right? Hmm. Which seems to me to be China is the obvious sponsor Hmm. of that government. Uh, And because the US is not going to sponsor the Taliban government. Hmm. And you could view that, you know, if you're an American, strategists you can view that in one of two ways like one you could view it as an american disaster the other is you can view it as an american success i mean the optics they've screwed up the optics hmm. but handing off afghanistan to china to make it china's problem um you could argue it is a an american success the way they've right. handled been atrocious, and they've totally misjudged the timing and the pace and all the rest of
0: it. Well, well in other words, let China spend some trillions uh, in there. Is that what you mean? Because US has spent what yeah. two trillion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 2. yeah. 2 trillion.
1: And then the question is like, what? Because there's all these problems with the Uyghurs and the militancy and all yeah. the rest of it. Like, you know, and China wants to do its Bri through there through Afghanistan and through the Central Asian States, as minerals Mm. it wants. It's trying to do CPEC, which is the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is a series of roads Mm. and rails and stuff down to Gwadar in Pakistan. So it's trying to get a bunch of, like, access the Indian Ocean, access the Mediterranean through Afghanistan and Iran. So it's got a whole bunch of dreams that requires a hand in Afghanistan for... So then, th- then of course, we come to the, you know, the role of Pakistan, which, you know, the U.S.-Pakistani relationship has been difficult, <laughs> to say at least mm-hmm. since 2001, mm-hmm. because on one hand, they've kind of sheltered and supported the Taliban, but on the other hand, they've been, you know, America's partner in the war on terror. Yeah, it's just crazy, yeah. bizarre. This is what yeah. I mean by American didn't sort out, you know, the regional. Cognitive dissonance
0: oh, at a strategic level, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and voice, and the, how yeah. the
1: Americans didn't sort out the the regional stuff. Like, what's the point in sending all those troops to Afghanistan, spending all that money if you're not going to sort out the regional stuff? It's just a mm. complete waste of money. And but then so as China, as America's disengaged from Pakistan or disengaged from Afghanistan, it's needed Pakistan less, therefore China stepped in, it's doing the CPEC, all the rest of it. But the Chinese already are getting pissed off with the Pakistanis. There was a bomb attack by Pakistani militants on a on Chinese workers on the BRI project, a CPEC project, uh, what, two week ago, two weeks ago. Right uh the chinese then replaced the guy who was running up cpec in pakistan a pakistani right so they told mm. the pakistani government you got to change that guy hmm. so
2: i see what you, you mean know. now
0: i mean it, yeah initially it's not necessarily initially apparent what you mean by it. this might be an advantage for the us in its kind of uh Contest with China, but you know it—it it is the it is where empires are broken, right? Afghanistan and, and there are a number of well, there are a number of means. But well, the are going British around. empire
1: wasn't. I'd like to point out the British empire wasn't broken there.
0: <laughs> well, okay, well, um, did it did it actually retain control long enough to? No, shape but it? I
1: think that the Brits the Brits achieved their strategic policy, which was to create a buffer zone against Russia
0: to protect
1: um, India. That was the aim of Brits Britain's strategic policy in the eighteen hundreds, and they achieved that. And yeah, some But what was the uh,
0: maybe an impo- important point then? What was the American strategic, as you understand it, American strategic? Huh. Uh, no, but that's <laughs> a, because I think it, it relates to yeah, that yeah. point because I think you, you hit a nail on the head there. What was it the wasn't American
2: strategic
1: policy? Because the war on terror wasn't a geostrategic operation. It understood the world in terms of ideologies, but that's not how the world works, and it's certainly not how the world works in terms of the places where some of these militants live, like Pakistan, Somalia, mm. Yemen, mm. Afghanistan, places mm. are tribal. And they have particular cultures and histories that you need to understand. And if you don't understand them, going in and going, you're either a terrorist or you're not, which is literally yeah. the kind of, that was the level of intellect that went into the war on terror.
2: And
1: yeah. of course you're going to not achieve your aims. It was, it was nonsense. It was just total, total, total intellectual bankrupt nonsense mm. and i've been wrong about many things over the past couple of weeks but i've been saying that for over a decade
0: mm. Mm. yeah and certainly been proven right on that now now china again just to just to kind of close that loop on china uh, yeah, am yeah. i am i right in in if memory serves china did have negotiations with the talibs in doha mm. right they they, they yeah. and, and this and is, is not china
1: yeah, yeah, Barada went over to China and was received by the right. Chinese Foreign Minister just like a, week, a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, okay. So so, so that relationship is almost becoming, uh, well, formalised, and I think maybe you might be reading the tea leaves there by saying or asking the question, is China going to recognise uh, Taliban? Is it in their interest to not necessarily go and make the same mistakes and, and try and force an issue uh, as opposed to just look at interests uh, alone uh, and if it's in their interest to to agree, agree that you know Taliban – uh, is the rightful owner of uh, or rightful ruler of Afghanistan yeah. that might serve yeah. their interests perfectly fine?
1: Well, you know, it's, I think, what oh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it? But everyone remembers where they were uh, at 9 11, right? Mm. And for those who are involved in this or in any way interested in politics or history, one wonders if this will be remembered you know, the fall of Kabul to the Taliban will be remembered as the other bookmark. Mm. Everyone remembers Mm. where they were, you know. Mm, 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 mm. You know, like Suez, Saigon, these places where huge geostrategic shifts have occurred. And, you know, as we discussed, that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing from a kind of Western American perspective, if we're looking at it in kind of real politic terms. But certainly it's been handled...
0: uh, disastrously. Yeah. Mike, I'm conscious of the time and we've uh, uh, well, yeah. you've got other things going on, but just maybe in closing uh, is there anything that uh, that we haven't touched on that you think is important right now that's relevant to this current uh, context? Um I
1: I, I think there's there's a, there's a huge basically the there's a huge humanitarian crisis going on. Um, at the moment in Afghanistan um, the the fighting has kind of probably, I don't know, a million or something 800,000 Afghans on top of the 4 million that are already displaced from the previous 43 years of the war so (laughs) I don't know how I don't really know what I'm saying except to highlight that I don't know how it will go forward I don't know whether, depends on which governments recognise Afghanistan, whether humanitarian agencies will
0: be able to Get in there. I mean, we're at the stage of dishing out rice and cooking oil here. Mm. Um, Do you think that the that that emergency, the humanitarian emergency, is sufficiently well recognised and echoing through the various halls of power around the world?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I think the various West, I think the various halls of power are trying to work out what the hell is going on. How it happened so quickly, you know. moved so fast, and and what it means for their interests. You know, obviously, citizens, countries with citizens in Afghanistan have focused on that,
2: hmm.
1: getting them out. Uh, countries without citizens in the region are, you know, the, the, obviously the regional countries without citizens as well, so they're worried about that, but they're also worried about, you know, everything else. Hmm. India is, the head must be spinning. Um, they've, you know, along with the US and NATO, they've invested heavily in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. Partly as a hedge against Pakistan, right? India and Pakistan have played out their rivalry in Afghanistan over the last twenty years. So India's a big loser.
0: That's a but that's yeah, that's that's something that's yeah. very little understood, I think. Um. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. But to finish I want to highlight the humanitarian disaster. So, you know, if there's charities that you know of that um are delivering like I say, we're talking basic foodstuffs, um, in Afghanistan at the moment, then slip them with a bit of cash. Yeah.
0: Very real and very sobering. Mike, thank you yeah. so much, and we'll be in touch. Uh, I'll be closely following your, uh, your post as well as, uh, as are uh, the thousands of others that are doing it. Thanks for your time. Okay. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Voices of War. You can access all episodes on www.thevoicesofwar.com or by subscribing wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review as we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to recommend a guest for the show, you can reach me on info at thevoicesofwar.com.